This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. You are watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. And if I'm in your ears right now, you're listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sanasi. I have internet again. Woo-hoo. And today on the show- Congratulations, Canada. Thank you. Will Foxley and David Morris. Wendy, you got our first story. Oh boy, the saga continues between all of the crypto exchanges. So according to this article here, Dallas Mavericks fans fume at Mark Cuban over Voyager crypto bankruptcy. So when you go ahead and you read this article here, last October, Cuban signed a contract which linked his NBA team, the Dallas Mavericks, to crypto lender Voyager Digital for five years to make crypto more accessible through education. Kind of curious about that aspect. But fans basically got $100 to trade on Voyager if they deposited $100 and just traded $10. So they got an additional $100 that way. I don't know what type of educational things that they are, were going to do, but I guess a lot of people are upset because we know that Voyager filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And I'm upset too. I've got coins there. But I just think that this goes to show that even people well-versed in TradFi and other professional business aspects didn't see this coming with Voyager. I actually want to throw this over to Will for a sassy comment. Got one for you. Uh, all these customers did get an education pretty quick, right? So they, they're in the process of uh, <laughs> going through Chapter 11 bankruptcy with everyone else at <laughs> Voyager. So this is tough to see from Mark Cuban. I, I think he's a pretty interesting individual, but every time he's gone up to take a stroke in crypto, he's basically whiffed. Uh, Iron Bank was the last one. And that was DeFi, right? That was supposed to be the stuff that's not going to break. It's supposed to be backed by a bunch of collateral. And he picked the one that didn't work out and uh, lost out a bunch there. He got a ton of criticism when Iron Bank went under. And then he works with this C5 firm, signs a five-year deal that also doesn't pan out. So pretty tough to be Mark Cuban these days interacting with crypto. At the same time, you look at some of his comments, pretty fair, right? He talked about Shiba Inu, talked about Doge, said those are not investments. Talked about Voyager itself, said this is an investment. There's some risk involved, so be careful before you go ahead with this. And to be fair, like he was making about education, right? They gave out like this $100 deal. You put $10 in, you do a little trading, get a little money off. That's pretty common for onboarding people into new applications. It was just unfortunate that Voyager was choosing to loan out huge amounts of money to a very high progressive hedge fund called Three Arrows Capital. Uh, So I can't really put this on Mark Cuban as much. Some of his comments seem to make this like he was pretty conservative, right? He was pretty conservative with some of these things. Maybe not the best sponsorship deal, but it's hard for me to imagine that he knew that Voyager was dealing out so much money to 3AC. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, last year and earlier this year, we spoke so much about these sports sponsorships being like a pillar of mainstream adoption and a pillar of trust. And it's unfortunate to see now that for these Dallas Mavericks fans, some of that trust has begun to erode because of what's happening in the markets. Will, to your point, I think this is a great lesson for them. This partnership, this educational partnership was announced in October and we are now in July. And so I think, you know, the partnership was announced in October. I'm sure they were planning to launch something. The markets took a turn. I think there's still an opportunity here for the Dallas Mavericks to save face and still launch some kind of educational platform, some kind of educational something 
to get their fans learning about crypto so their next investment is better and they can understand the risks a little bit better so they're not left with this sour taste in their mouth. So I think they can turn this around and I hope they do. David. Yeah, I guess I'll just close by reflecting again on how bizarre these lending platforms are as entities. And that does play into why, to whatever degree, you know, Mark Cuban made a poor call here. I mean, these are entities that act like banks on the retail side that accept deposits from anyone, basically, and then go and do institutional lending on the backside that's very high risk. And I think that there was, you know, not much understanding of the risk on the back end or even really exactly what they were doing to generate the yield that they were giving to depositors. And so I do think, and we haven't heard a lot about this as Celsius and Voyager and others and BlockFi come run into trouble, but I think there's a real job for regulators here because I think that these entities were misrepresenting themselves in certain ways. I mean, Voyager specifically is now under investigation because it seemed to be implying that deposits were FDIC insured, which was not true. On the regulatory front, I think we're going to see some serious shoes dropping on all of this over the next few days and weeks. And I really, Wendy, hope you and other other depositors get some relief. The, the bankruptcy is going to be interesting. I guess the silver lining here is that at least they did give people $100 that put $100 in. So the burn isn't too bad if they only put $100 in. So fingers crossed that Dallas Mavericks fans only put $100 in and I hope we see something positive that comes out of this in the future. And at least Voyager is actually communicating with their customers. I got the email this morning. And so that's a positive note because <laughs> cough, cough, a few Only other platforms. Wendy? <laughs> well, we got the email about the, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but we got the email again this morning about the restructuring and how that's going to work. And I know that some other platforms, you actually have to follow what they're doing on chain to see what's happening. <laughs> Back to you, Jen. Yeah. Well, Wendy, I actually have a question for you as someone with money with Voyager. So the restructuring says that if you had money on the platform, you're going to get um, a combination of proceeds from the recovery, common shares in the new company, and Voyager tokens. How do you feel about that as someone who has money on the platform? Well, first off, the money that I had there was it was a little bit of additional capital. I had a couple moon bags there because I was trying to generate that yield. But I also lost money in quite some other crypto exchange hacks or exchanges that went down. So for me to actually get something back, potentially, that's very, very exciting because when I lost money on Cryptopia, that's gone forever. So this is a good positive thing. But at the same time, I knew the risks of leaving my stuff there and most of my audience did as well. So something's better than nothing. Well, let's stay with the regulator beat. We're going to talk about a different exchange, Binance, which according to Reuters is becoming a hub for fraud and money laundering. Binance is the largest exchange by volume and has been for quite a while. Binance CEO CZ is a well-known figurehead within crypto and perhaps the wealthiest man in the world if you count all his crypto or at least before the crash. So pretty important people here. And this Reuters investigation found that not only did Binance misrepresent where they were located by saying that they were still operating out of Malta when in fact they were not, but they've also not taken on compliance changes that most other exchanges have. This is a pretty interesting story. Binance has definitely uh, distanced themselves from the claims within this, saying that these are all alleged, they're not factual, they're not true. So definitely need to get that out there, that there seems to be some sort of conversation around this. At the same time, there is some points in this that seem to be fair. 
And I do think just looking at Binance's position as the largest exchange and the fact that so many people can use it, you're going to get some illicit activity. You're probably going to have the highest percent chance of that illicit activity happening on Binance. Binance operates in most jurisdictions. Uh, notably, Binance is not allowed in the United States. They have a U.S. entity, Binance U.S., that only lists certain tokens and operates under U.S. guidance. But Binance itself is found all over the world, minus a few jurisdictions that it's not allowed to operate in, like Iran or North Korea or other places. David, I want to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. We do see these regulatory headlines every once in a while, and they're not my favorite looking inside a firm and understanding what's actually happening on the compliance side is very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, it's some of the most important things that a journalist can do. Looking at the recent fiasco with all these lending firms, I'm sure a lot of journalists and journalistic firms wish they'd been asking these questions a few months back. Yeah, the Binance thing bugs me for, well, it's difficult to talk about for several reasons. And, and one overriding one is simply that the KYC and AML regime worldwide is just a broken mess. And so whenever you talk about it, you have to kind of acknowledge that all of these measures and all of these controls essentially are theater to begin with. So the fact that Binance maybe slipped up, I'm, I'm going to be a little controversial here, but like, I don't know if I care. One of the parts of the Reuters report was like seven people in Iran were still able to trade on Binance. And like, I mean, if it's somebody who's moving $50 million that maybe has something to do with the Iran nuclear program, sure, okay. But you know what? They seem to be doing all right on that one without using Binance. So I just like, this is like, I get it. If something untoward took place, then sure. But like people getting sweaty about this, I, I can't work up ahead of steam. I can't get mad about it. I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see the significance. I wish I had something David, more sophisticated I to say than that, but... I had the same mixed bag of emotions reading this article. So there have been a few investigative reports released by Reuters over the past few months when it comes to Binance. I think they said $2.35 billion worth of illicit funds were laundered through the platform. They did a bunch of investigations. They hired a bunch of blockchain <laughs> sleuths. And for me, reading this on, on one hand, if they weren't listening to their internal compliance advisors and they weren't if they were knowingly not complying with the regulation, yeah, that's okay. But David, to your point, I think there's so much gray area. Even internally, when you're listening to your legal advisors, you can have different opinions all within one department and you have to make a decision, a business decision on, mm -hmm. on what you're going to do next. There was a note in the article that, that said, you know, to open up an account in Binance, all you needed was an encrypted email. You, you didn't have to identify yourself in any way. And this brought me back to, you know, crypto just being free money. Like, of course, this helps criminals if criminals want to, to use it to do criminal activity. But this also helps people in oppressive countries who need to move money around or people, women in some countries who aren't able, who aren't able to make funds. If they're working on the side to get out of an oppressive situation, they need features like this to, to do that. And so I also had a mixed yeah. bag of feelings. If but I could we'll... just really quickly comment on, you, you noted the Reuters story from a couple months ago. I was trying to remember where they cited that 2.3 billion number. I mean, this is just to, to point out another kind of inconsistency here, right? Reuters reported that number. That's a number that was a cumulative number over like five or six years. Mm -hmm. But they put that in the headline, even though it's for this indeterminate span that has no useful comparison to be made to like annualized global money laundering flows. 2.3 billion over six years is literally insignificant in the context of the money laundering that takes place worldwide. And that framing of the story by Reuters was frankly 
not great. So I just wanted to highlight that. Uh, Will or Wendy, I don't remember who was on the stack, but uh, go for it. Yeah, I'll grab it really quick and then toss it up to Wendy. It is really interesting to see these traditional rags like Reuters struggle with the concepts of money moving freely. And I think that is like the true point of Web3 that hopefully comes out of like this entire crash is that you want to have money move in the same way that data flows over these rails. I can open a Facebook account with very little information. I can open up any sort of account, an email account with very little information. It doesn't matter. And I should be able to receive and send money in the same manner. And we see that with Binance, right? In lots of different countries, you don't need that much information to be able to boot up uh, an exchange and then be able to receive funds for that. One of the most interesting stories on my podcast I did last year was with a few Venezuelan Bitcoin miners. And they told me about how most people in Venezuela just have Binance accounts now, and they don't even use anything else. They don't use local currency. They just swap between Binance accounts. They have a little QR code, they have their Binance wallet, they go to the store, buy something, and they just scan it and it sends it right from their Binance account to someone else's Binance account. Binance has dominated that market and for good reason, right? People needed that access to banking in a way that traditional finance can't even understand. And these traditional writers for financial writing, they don't understand it either. So it's, it's fascinating to see these headlines pop up. It's just it's permissionless money, right? We should be able to send money wherever we want it to go. Wendy, I'll throw it up to you. Like, let's face it, if somebody wants to do something illicit or bad, they're going to do it. They don't need to use crypto. It's actually easier to do bad things with cash or bartering. Also, too, there was a very interesting thing that you said about people in Venezuela that were actually able to just utilize Binance to pay for everything and to kind of live their lives. That's providing very valuable service. And then Jed brought up maybe somebody was in an oppressive place or oppressive situation, and they're able to kind of successfully utilize cryptocurrency as a way to secure their freedom or to secure some sort of freedom in the future. And I also kind of want to close this out and say, imagine being the biggest crypto exchange in the world and having to comply on a global level to all of these different countries, to all of these different entities, to all of these different legal bodies, and properly do KYC and AML. There's going to be mistakes that happen along the way. You can only do so much when you're operating on a global scale. So regardless of what people say about Binance, I think for the most part in this particular area, when it comes to KYC and AML, they're doing the best that they can with not a whole lot of clarity. Because let's face it, we're still not where we need to be regulation-wise in the United States of America and in other countries. All right. So the Twitter Elon Musk saga, I want to say is coming to an end, but I know that that's just not right. This is going to keep going on for a while, I think. Twitter shares are down 7% after Elon Musk announced that he no longer wants to buy the company. The plan to scrap the $42 billion takeover comes amid claims that the number of spam and fake accounts on the social platform are higher than 5%. Twitter's board plans to take legal action to enforce the deal. So, David, I'm going to pass it down to you. What do you think? It's like we got this ongoing fisticuffs between Twitter and Elon Musk. Well, I just wanted to get on first because I want to make sure that we don't buy the false framing that Elon Musk has successfully imposed on this situation. The, the question about fake accounts is a complete red herring. He has never been acting in good faith. The question is why. He never actually intended to buy Twitter. The question is, what was the actual goal? Some people think he was just joking that this was all a lark. Um, but I, I want to highlight that in late April, uh, he sold $8 billion worth of Tesla stock, supposedly to raise the cash for this sale. He's not giving back that money. He's going to keep the proceeds from that stock. 
which, by the way, has dropped in value by, you know, whatever it is, 50 percent in the two months since then. So one compelling theory is that his entire purpose in pretending that he wanted to buy Twitter in the first place was so that he could sell off Tesla stock while it was inflated. More broadly, I think this speaks to my takeaway on this situation, which is that we as a culture, the richest man in the world right now uh, is just a dishonorable liar who doesn't think he has to play by anybody else's rules. And I think that's a really bleak place. So the niceties and the legal letters and all of this stuff about him supposedly getting bad information from Twitter, it's all completely a distraction and a misrepresentation. And he's not being transparent about his real purposes here. And I really, really hope that the SEC and other regulators, the authorities overseeing this transaction, actually try and make him pay some consequences. I mean, he's deep in this. He's not supposed to be able to back out of this deal at this point. The $1 billion payoff thing, also not actually an option. So it's going to be very interesting to see how far he can get by just being a bully because he's completely in the wrong here. Yeah, I'll pick it up. It's interesting on a few different levels. The meme games going on yesterday, if you saw those, what Elon was tweeted, a few different memes making fun of Twitter, saying like, we're going to take you to court. We're going to get all the information about the bots we wanted to in the first place. He's just playing chess, right? So there's that level to it. Like, is this just continuation of like the games like he's just bored but then there's also like the human side of it there's a lot of people who lost their jobs at twitter uh because they were expecting this new management to come in and then he's pulling out at the last second and saying he's not going Mm -hmm. to take ownership of it what happens to those people right i don't know how many people it is but does suck to lose your job for nothing right no reason at all they restructured a lot of twitter over the last few weeks uh, with the intention of bringing Elon on board. He said that he was going to cut a lot of the Twitter staff beforehand already. And so they're preparing for that. Um, he even had an all-hands meeting with the Twitter team. So it's just very odd to see this continue to roll out and be an issue. Uh, and like with the bot thing, right? Like he's still using Twitter actively, right? He's, it's not stopping him from using it as a platform. The bots are not stopping him from being interested in it to broadcast his own message. In fact, that's the place he goes to already right so like how much of a discount should he really take on it just because there's a bots going on or there's a bot problem with it like he obviously values it himself for his normal communication so i don't really see why he wouldn't be interested in fulfilling the promise of the purchase here but the memes are pretty good wendy i'll throw it up to you so a couple of things that come to mind here first off last night i was like 9 30 at night I saw this tweet. I was like, what in the actual heck is happening? I'm like hysterically laughing. My daughter runs in the room. She's like, Bobby, what's so funny? I'm like, nothing, baby, nothing. Twitter's being silly. But anyways, first thing, I always am very curious as to, as I want to know why they're putting this type of information out. So I like to follow the money and I also like to pay attention to other media headlines that aren't being talked about. Because sometimes this type of stuff is used as psyops to kind of take attention from other particular things happening, because there's a lot of stuff happening on a global scale, especially the last week. Next, yes, Twitter does have a problem with bots, but it is a very, very valuable platform. And the last thing that I want to bring up is talking a little bit about the type of person that Elon Musk is, or the type of personality somebody with that type of money is. So when you see people that could, he's probably bored with things, probably bored with his day-to-day basics and the amount of power and money he has, it's a game to him. It's fun to Mm -hmm. him. And to really take a step back and to analyze people and when they put themselves in these different positions, like you'll see a lot of like musicians or actors or, you know, political people, people with power, they do interesting things for pleasure and for play. And I think that's just what Elon Musk is doing. He's, you know, he's half serious, but he's not serious. 
And he's kind of just playing to see how far he can go. It's kind of like a child that's being really, really naughty and they're pressing their parents like my daughter. She's going to be six soon. And she like press my buttons to see how far she goes. So I feel like Elon Musk is just acting like a kid. And if you want to pay attention to it, great. If not, that's fine too, but it is mm. what it is. I think when those actions start directly affecting the lives of others and the bank accounts of others who maybe don't have as many funds as you do, that's when it becomes a problem. And I think that's where we are, Wendy. So it is sad to see. Like I said at the beginning of the segment, I don't think it's over. But until next time, I don't, we'll... Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is too, but... At the same time, like he doesn't, I don't think he cares about anybody but himself. And that just goes to show no, like what type of person not. he is. And I mean, it's yeah. unfortunate people have lost their jobs. It's unfortunate the type of turmoil it's costing people financially. But at the same time, I'm looking at it like I feel for them, but I'm also looking at the type of person he is and trying to gain perspective as to why he's acting the way that he acts. Because being able to read people is a very, very important part of my job. And he doesn't care about anybody but himself. And I, that's why I don't understand why people idolize other people with money. These people with money do not care about you. They don't care about your families. They don't care about your lives. Go idolize somebody in your community. You know, go do something good and help them do better because these people with money, they're just using you. You're just a pawn in their chess game or whatever it is they're trying to prove. Yeah. And that's particularly important to a message to get across to a lot of fans of Elon Musk who are, are out there defending him. We are moving on to final story of the day. Something a little bit upbeat, I think. We have about 45 projects that were formerly hosted on the Terra blockchain uh, moving over to Polygon. And just like background for people who might not be up to speed, uh, Terra was the blockchain that uh, Terra UST was on. Uh, that experienced a death spiral because it was a fake algorithmic stable coin. Ponzi, magic, alchemy, bootstrap, faker, I could come up with other words. But while that was kind of the core function, there were other things built on the Luna blockchain. People believed the hype and they not only bought the tokens, they actually built NFT platforms, DEXs. I mean, I don't know exactly what all of these are, but, you know, there are different distributed apps that are on a blockchain. And after Luna crashed, uh, all of those apps also were taken down, which when I wrote my article back in late April about the worries before the actual collapse, that was one of the real things is that everything goes if UST goes. But Polygon stood up a $20 million fund to help some of these projects that have been left in the lurch by Luna transition to a new chain. And it's great. I mean, there's consolidation, there's the flexibility of blockchains, the interoperability, lots to talk about here. Jen. Yeah, no, I thought this was a really positive story and a nice reminder. You know, we spent so much of our time talking about the mass amount of funds that have been lost and companies going under, companies becoming insolvent and, and liquidating. I thought this was a really nice reminder that there is still money in the ecosystem and that money is going towards builders and people with great ideas. We've spoken a lot about a few funds that have popped up over the last few months, regardless of the state of the markets. And if you're a builder, a developer, and you have an interesting project, now is the time to bring that to life. And there is money out there. So it's not all doom and gloom. And that's what I took away from the story. Will, what do you got? Yeah, I took it a little bit of a different way. To me, this speaks to the failure to transition to Luna 2.0. The fact that a lot of these people oh. <laughs> well, that's true too. are looking to build on an entire different network, right? They're not going to play around. Doquan's still around. Like, he's still tweeting. He's still messing with people, too. He's still kind of being an asshole online. Uh, even though he just, really? like, destroyed so many people's lives, he's still doing his thing. People have had enough of it, and they're going to move to different chains. They don't want to be associated with Terra. 
at all. And for Terra 2.0 to work, they're going to need other projects to survive on that network. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen, right? That people have lots of different options for things they want to build on. Polygon has a pretty great name out there. They have a lot of tooling and they have a lot of devs. They have a really nice ecosystem. Uh, it's one of the largest chains in terms of volume. Makes sense why people would go to it. And there's a lot of different alternatives. And that's the whole issue with Doquan's spin or move to try to like pin the whole collapse as something else than what it was, which was a failed Ponzi. Uh, he's trying to spin it off as like an opportunity to rebuild the network and rebuild using other projects, other dApps. It's not going to work, right? People have had enough. They're going to move somewhere else. And there's yeah. lots of alternatives. I can list like five off the top of my head. People can go to. And there's a lot of money to pick those people off also, right? We've seen a few of those stories so far where people have opened up dev grants or uh, just opportunity funds to pick up these developers from the Terra ecosystem. And so that's really where you see the entire death kneel of an ecosystem is where the devs stop building on your chain and they go somewhere else. I think it just really speaks to the disingenuous nature of Doquan and also the flop that is Terra 2.0. Wendy, I'll give it to you though for last thoughts. You know, unfortunately, Doquan is not a nice person from what we've seen, but it is good to see that these projects that are really trying to do right by their community go to a different chain and try to do the best that they can with what that they're given. So I applaud them for that. It has to be absolutely tragic and hard. And it's just a real, it's just a really shitty thing, a really, really, really shitty, terrible thing to see, but at least they're doing the best that they can. And it seems that the Matic community or Polygon team does care. And they are trying to kind of, you know, they gave what, $20 million for the dev fund. So overall, I think it's a positive aspect, but who knows if those projects are going to be made whole again, fingers crossed that they are for yeah. their communities. Well, let's let's wrap it there on kind of a positive note. Will you kind of brought us down, but when you lifted us Sorry. back up again. <laughs> thank you to all of our hash fans and audience who watched today. It was a great Monday show. That's Wendy up there. I got Will over to this side and David Morris is on the show today. I'm Jen Sinassi. Thank you for watching the hash. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.